How's it going, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of Music in the Minor League. This week, we're joined by Shane Sweeney of the band Two Cow Garage. Also has a couple solo EPs out, a solo record. Is a member of a band called Dead Nettles that was going on for a while there. He's done a lot. He also does graphic art, painting. There's a lot of cool stuff to talk about with Shane, man. So we're really happy he joined us. Known Shane for many years. Just a good dude and someone, man, in independent music who's just been carrying the flag with him and Micah Schnabel, the other front person of two cow garage all right before we get to the interview as always man we'll get through a little bit of housekeeping first thing beat you over the head with it we'll continue to do it forever if you like what you hear please subscribe to the podcast tell your friends about it it's the best way to keep it going if you're just joining us go back listen to some old episodes man check out all these bands that you missed out on there's some really good ones in there Second, if you like the bands and the music we discuss, go follow them on your streaming network of choice. Go follow their Facebook page, Instagrams, all that, man. Give them some follows and interact with them, man. It's really good music and we feel you'll enjoy it. It also helps when you're out trying to tour, find new venues. If you got a lot of people following you, people think you got a lot of people going to follow you to the show. Finally, if you're interested in seeing Brightwire, we have some shows coming up here in the month of May, but not a lot as we're doing a lot of some personal traveling. First up, May 7th, we'll be out at Black Page Brewing as part of their grand opening celebration that runs from 1.30 to 4.30 and I think there's going to be other bands throughout today like Jimmy Pizzatolo that's our set on May 13th we'll be heading down the Old Quarter Acoustic Cafe to play with Trish Cramblett tickets are available now that's going to be a good one man Trish is killer we'll actually probably be doing an interview with her while we're down there on the 16th we'll be out at the Saxon Pub in Austin, Texas with our friend Austin Mays just seems like it's going to go right man Austin and Austin together on May 26th we'll be at Ronnie's Ice House that is with Grifters and Shills and Whiskey Dick last time we did that in December it was a great show so we're doing it again like five months later it should be a good one and that's really it in June we'll be hitting the road going to New Mexico and a few other spots but we'll cover those dates at a later time let's cut it all out man let's get to the interview but before we get there this is a song off of Shane Sweeney's EP Complex Ecosystems and this song is called Nobody Asked to Be Born. It's one of my favorites of his, and we're going to kick it off now. See you on the other side. tried to fight all this pain He walked through the halls keeping people afraid And then the homecoming queen the three kids that they had and I'll have a habit for a mother and a ghost for a dad Yes, they still whisper his name But nobody asked to be born To wander the dark wondering what you're here for Nobody asked to be born Nobody asked to be born John put that gun in his mouth The whole town so proud the day that he shipped out Well his body came home But his nerves they did not It took a hero's courage To fire that shot Now there's a flag blowing over his grave Nobody asked to be born To wander the dark, wondering what you're here for Nobody asked to be born Nobody asked to be born Thank you. 
Laura had something to say They said, bury it deep, boy, you should be Left the door open for the whole world to see That every man and every woman can be Who they feel they should be And that you don't have to kill to be brave Cause nobody asked to be born to wander the dark, wondering what you're here for Nobody asked to be born Nobody asked to be born Nobody asked to be born Nobody asked all right everybody welcome to another episode of music in the minor league we're here today with shane sweeney of two cow garage if you don't know the band you should know the band shane's one of those people i met 13 years ago pertinent yeah fortunately when you're out doing music it's always really cool when you find an artist that you play a show with and then over time they become one of your favorite artists so then you know them and you know that they're badass shane does not just two cow garage he does solo recordings he has another band that we'll find out if it's still even remotely active called dead nettles he does drawings paintings does all sorts of stuff so Thanks for joining us, Shane. Yeah, man. I'm glad to be here. He's like an artist. Yeah, like a well-rounded artist. Yeah. What are we doing with our time? All four. I'm always jealous of that because like, I can do stick figures <laughs> and I can write oh, songs. Like, everybody can make art. That's that's what, what Bob Ross taught us all. You know, Everybody exactly. can do. Agreed. We went to a, a painting Pinot or something like that. I made a killer painting of a pumpkin with a sunflower. <laughs> It was you did. See, all you need to learn you need to learn how to use the tools to create the art. That's all it is. And Shane doesn't really, know this, but Health is a an art teacher. Oh, so okay. We cool. all make art. Yeah. Thanks for outing me. Sorry. <laughs> trying to play it cool. You just made it really awkward. Like, oh shit. Yeah, I did. Is this guy gonna be like, I uh, give that one a B, sir. Right. Like, no. mm, mm, your use of texture is kind of <laughs> minimal. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing though too right like none of that shit really matters like it's it's like writing songs like we all write songs and people have been writing songs forever you run it through the filter of you and that's that's the thing that makes it important you know so kids if you're listening my opinion does matter disregard what shane just said <laughs> All of my students, <laughs> which we actually had a discussion about. I know we're going off the rails before we even asked the first question, but one of Hell's students, we were playing at Dan Electro's and he came up and he was talking about the kid who just made like some thing he threw together at the last second, totally just trash thing. And which I mean was brilliant. You know, I hate to say a child's art was, but he, it wasn't like an effort thing. It was just like, here's something I can give my teacher and hopefully get a D or something on. Sure. And then, I turned it in. Right. You want to tell the rest of the story? Yeah, and then me being the you know the young buck of a teacher, I was like, you know what? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this kid take this to a competition and get judged by someone else and get feedback, you know, and teach this kid that hey, you got to try and everything, right? And so sure. I told the kid about it. And he's like, all right, I'll go, I'll go. And I said, hey man, remember you're like a salesman, so you really want to dress up to to sell your art. And so I'll be damned if this kid didn't show up to the competition in a three piece suit. And he goes in and he he does his thing and comes out and he's like. Well, it was it was interesting. It's cool, and I was and in my head I'm like ha ha ha. So see now you know it's hard. I'll be damned if that kid didn't get a medal. <laughs> and I was like, That's oh. Great. And I never told the kid. And then I saw him at the show the other night, and I finally came clean. And he goes, Are you serious? I was like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I did. And he graduated like 12 years ago from high school. So, <laughs> and he still has the photo of him making thumbs up behind his piece with his medal. <laughs> Right. That's awesome. You can't take that away from him. Nope. <laughs> but it also, it's also its its own form of art, you know. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and it shows that, you know, no matter what it means to you, it can mean something totally different to someone else. All you gotta do is That's sell true. it. All right. So, so <laughs> didn't take long Let's to get, get off to our the rails. first question. Golly. <laughs> So as we start off every episode, the point of this podcast is to hassle people and find out what it is about music and you know art in general that makes them stick doing this in the independent music world all these years later. Sure. 
So we want to go back to the very beginning. So at what point, I guess, you know, what point did music become the thing for you? You know, what got, I guess inspired you to pick up a guitar and or a bass, wherever you started out with and go. I had to tell you, this story might sound like it's complete bullshit, but it is totally true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I was like six years old, my grandma started buying me these tapes, cassette tapes of golden oldies every time she went to the, at the time the grocery store was called big bear it was like a grocery store department store combo and now it's a i think now they're all giant eagles or something but she would buy these tapes and i it was like you know blueberry hill and uh so we've gotta say goodbye for the summer hell yeah stuff like yeah. that brian highland or whatever you know and I was I was hooked. Once I heard Blueberry Hill, I was hooked. Music was my thing, and and I didn't even really realize it then. I've only subsequently realized this, but like that was really it. And then my dad wasn't really around when I was a kid. He lives in New Orleans, and and like a lot of kids of of single parents, when the other parent comes around, you're like, okay, well, fine. What are you gonna get me? You know? Yeah. And he got me this Korean Les Paul, uh, and it was never actually in tune and i didn't know how to do anything we never had i never had lessons or anything it just sat in a corner mostly but i like strummed through faith the george michael song (laughs) and i would just do that day in and day out and then i didn't actually end up learning how to play guitar until i was like 19 but all of all of that other stuff was the the basis i I was i was hooked before i could even do it i was hooked no that's how it goes i remember my first time of having an instrument or at least a guitar my friend gave me this bc rich bass that was in multiple pieces i actually took nails and nailed the neck onto the body <laughs> and just like pretended i was rocking the records and mtv and stuff and i was like that was it after that's like i need a real one now like i can do this <laughs> like it was easy to just stand there and go duh, 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 with no strings when I, I moved to columbus after high school and uh was briefly going to ohio state and I had a bunch of friends, like uh, dropping names, Mark Sasala and John Choley and a bunch of people like they, uh, Greg Stipek, they were either learning or they could play. And I was like, well, I can sit around and watch other people do this thing that I've always wanted to do, or I can fucking pick it up and try to learn how to do it. You know? So what was the first thing you picked up in college? I'm sorry? What was the first thing you picked up in college? Bass? Uh, guitar. Oh, guitar. Okay. And, and it was, uh, you know, a struggle. Like I learned on the internet. I taught yeah. myself how to play. Wow. Via a Mel Bay book in the internet, you know, and the internet in, in its infancy too, not like yeah, not not, not like now. what it is now, you know. <laughs> yeah, things, kids, kids things. don't understand how we had to mine for information on the internet. Oh man, but the there day. was the you know really? Shane's about my age. So you had the Olga, you know, that was the Olga.net. Yeah, Olga. online yep. guitar yep. icon. And that's that's exactly right. That's how I learned how to play around here by Counting Crows. And Ooh, solid. Rate, you know, Rate Me, I think, was the first song I actually played because it was all power chords, you know? Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Getting that Nirvana, like, all of Nevermind on, like, four pages. It was like, yes. Like, I can do yeah, this. I've got this. And I, I don't even love Nirvana like people love Nirvana, but I was like, oh, I, I think I can figure my way around this. And, Same. Know. Yeah. That was easy. Like, a lot of bands. I know a lot of songs that I didn't necessarily like because I was like, that's easy to play let's do this yeah yeah i'll figure it out you know or like i also realized early on that i can't sing or play like other people so i have to make everything my own in this like kind of tom waitsy way <laughs> like i have to like turn everything into my own song even though it's another person's you know but that's okay man again it's like it's that approach to art as long as you're happy with it whatever man you know you're getting, oh yeah, yeah you know as long as you're able to be creative and we've talked about this many times is creative people for us it's not about the that final product it's about the the getting it out however whether it's visual or or you know auditory we just have to get it out it just needs to exist it's stick stuck in here we want it out here so that's that's all it is for us and that I, i've had so many conversations with um again with, with micah specifically a lot because we are together a lot talking about songwriting in particular but like when i write a song michael writes a song like in this very workman way like he he uh he wakes up and, and he works every day at writing a song and while i do that the process is still different like again he's way more prolific but uh a part of that is like it feels like it's tearing something out of my being every time i write a song i'm like there's no fucking possible way i'm gonna be able to do that again yeah there's just no, you know, it just feels like a, like something like drawing salve or something. <laughs> it just pulled something out of me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Micah doesn't feel that way, but Micah is very like, I'm going to work today on this. Like, man, it's different, different processes, but we both feel the same way. Once, once we write one, we're like, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Micah's, Every, all, Micah's all like clocking in and clocking out. All right. Going to lunch today. Yeah. I'll be back in a minute. There's always that panic after every song. It's like, that could be the last one. Yeah. That could be the last good one. Right. This is the pinnacle. <laughs> 
And even though Micah gets up and works and does it, you know, obviously you don't hear every single one of the songs every day that he does, but like he still has that same feeling like that. Oh shit. That's probably the best one. Right. What's the point after this? You know, <laughs> well, it's gotta be funny, especially someone, you know, I mean, what are y'all a little over 20 years now with two cow, right? Yeah. It'll be 22 years in September. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, there had to be times during two hours. Like that's it. That's our song that we're going to have to play forever. Cause everyone likes it. That we go to these towns. And then a few years later, it's like, you never play that song anymore. It's like, really? <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things that drop back. There's gotta be moments like that. Where it's just I like, that's it. That's the biggest song we'll ever do. And it's like, well, okay, no, no. I, gr- I was wrong. <laughs> we did one better. When, when, when we put out our second record, um, there was a song that, you know, whatever. Nobody has hits. Well, yeah, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. The songs that when yeah. you go to, even if it's the, you know, 50 people that show up, 40 of them are like, I want to hear that song. Right. So there was a song called 135 that was on our second record that people really loved, which was wonderful. And I love that. Um, but we were playing at this place in Des Moines, Iowa called the Vaudeville Muse. And we were getting ready to record our third record. And Mike had gotten the van. We were pulling the van around. We had already loaded it in, just pulling around the park like you do. And he was like, I really feel a lot of pressure to write another song like that. And I was like, well, I don't think you should try to write another song like that. That's just what that song is. And we had this really nice conversation about how we weren't going to do that. We just weren't. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to have each other to be supportive in that situation. And uh, we haven't done that, actually. We've, we've never really rewritten anything, and that's on purpose. Now, yeah, there's no album where you're like, that sounds like a perfect continuation of the prior record. Right. Like, it's it's odd. Like, you know, I mean, most bands, they release now, it's like, okay, yeah, that's still them. I mean, you know, especially if you go from first record to the newest stuff, it's like, yeah, you can hardly... You'd hardly be like that's that's the natural progression this band would take. Right, but the, but we've been growing as artists for twenty years. Yeah, I mean it's a good thing because yeah. it's there's no getting bored with it. You know, it's like things happen. You want it to be something where you know. At least for me, even if I realize at points that my path with this musician, our tastes kind of diverged, it's okay because I'd rather them do that than go like, well, here's a half-baked version of our last record. Enjoy. Which, look, I I understand. Like, we've been blessed and cursed with not being very successful. (laughs) (laughs) Artistically, it's a blessing because we can do whatever the fuck we want and it doesn't, in the grand scheme of things, matter. People expect that of us now, you know. We were never, like blessed with making enough money or, or having enough people having a vested financial interest in us recreating a hit song or something. Right. But at the same time, you know, I mean, there are people y'all have, I mean, you know, when y'all did the 20th anniversary show, like, you know, people came from around the country to be a part of that. So. Oh yeah, man. Like I, I this is more than what I ever expected. Yeah. I guess that's why you keep doing it, huh? <laughs> I mean, you're still also, here. Like I'm a firm believer in the fact that you can, you can make money for making art, but you can't make art to make money. Yeah, and solid. and that's what we do. We we're creating what we think is art through our music, and and as fucking pretentious as that sounds, like that's that's why we do it. We've never made money, so like, what do I know any different? I just want to create things, and and hopefully it's important to people. Yeah, I mean that's interesting because I was talking with my students today because you know of course they do their research like oh you have a band and you know, they want to ask you questions and this is great and they're like so do you ever want to be famous and I was like no hell no I was like because it, it's really funny I was, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in the same subject we've talked about like the last three times so Taylor Swift was in town for like three days <laughs> please don't and, don't. and, and, and you know, I told the kids I was like could you imagine being her you're in Houston which is a great town to be in because it's so diverse there's so much cool stuff to do and you can't sure. leave your hotel because if you go anywhere there's you know thousands of people following you and people wanting to take pictures and, and I was like no thank you I just want to be able to, to, to play music and create and just have fun like that and I said and if, and if that means I'm never famous I'm totally fine with that you know I, I think that's a, a better way to approach because I think when you go to it with that idea, I want to be famous, I want to be rich. Like like you said, you're not creating art. You're just trying to create a money source at that point. You know, and you're not really... Like, at what point what, does she have time? Yeah. Like, right. be, being Taylor Swift is a full-time fucking job. A hundred percent. You know? Yeah, 24-7, like, too. You don't get, like, a weekend off ever. No. And she manages, she, obviously, and she's very good. I, I think she's very good. Anyway. Kim does, um, too. She, and, she, you know, she has co-writers and, and I'm, all, all of that stuff. But, like, she's a huge part of all of that process. But also, she has to have the burden of being Taylor Swift all the goddamn time. Yeah. No, thank Like, you. I can... 
I can just be one of the best things I ever heard was it wasn't even Leonard Cohen's kid. It was Leonard Cohen's kid's buddy. It was like we were over there all the time and he was just making us breakfast and stuff. And I didn't know that he was Leonard Cohen. You know, he was just this guy's dad. And it was that's the best way to be. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, yeah, like I can go do all this shit. But like I'm Jackson's dad. And his friends, like, they all know what I do, and they're all aware. But it, I also am just the guy who's like, hey, guys, I put the hummus out. And, you know. <laughs> you cool. some carrot sticks with that? <laughs> right, exactly. I'm, like, cutting up carrot sticks. And, you know, I man. prefer it that way. And you got Jackson playing music now, too, man. So that's what's He's cool. a badass, too. He's really, really cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine because I'm not a parent. I know everybody else here is. But just thinking about seeing my progeny doing something that I love and enjoying it, you know, as much as I've ever seen anybody enjoy something must be amazing. It's really amazing. It's still hard to get into practice. <laughs> yeah, the kids. <laughs> you know, he's a teenager. Isn't he? Well, you know, you just but, said you didn't really start playing until you were 19. So you understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like, And I do understand. And that's why I'm kind of a hard ass about it. Yeah. Because I, I didn't do. Know. I'm not the only one. Do it. <laughs> like, don't do what I did. Right, exactly. Take my, my, advantage of this time. Dude, my son is playing trumpet, and I grew up playing trumpet in, in high school and college, man. And I, my wife was like, oh, you could be his private lesson teacher. I did it one time, and I was like, uh-uh, I can't do this because I am such a jerk. Because I'm like, no, you need to practice. You got to do it. Because I knew how I was. I'm like, you're not going to be like me. And it was like, I'm going to ruin this for this kid. I was like, no, I'll spend the 50 bucks a lesson, and he can go learn from someone else. From someone else, yeah. yeah. I, I have the exact same thing. Like, uh, People have been like, are you teaching him how to play guitar? And I'm like, one, I taught myself how to play, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to pass down my, <laughs> my internet habits, right? <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, which are great. I mean, that's a great way to learn. But like, I just don't have the acumen to be able to teach him correctly. Um, and also, he's not going to hear it from me. That is so true. Just, I, you know, I know there are so many things I would never listen to my parents about, and anything that they cared about, no. <laughs> the great thing is, though, like, I'll be like, oh, um, do you know this? I don't know, Operation Ivy song or something, and he'll be like, oh no, I didn't know it. And then he doesn't seem like he cares when I play it for him. But then like two weeks later, he'll be upstairs taking a shower or something, just blaring music. And I can hear it happen. I can hear him singing every word to it. You know? <laughs> All I know is that I don't know. Dude, yeah. It's a great feeling, isn't it? Like you're like, yes. Yeah. I'm cool. I'm still cool. See, my kid knows it. <laughs> oh, I know. It's amazing. Cause he doesn't want to seem cool in front of me, I think. But then like he goes and he's actually absorbing the things that I'm trying to show him, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think that was some of the more fun, like like with my son, like you know, Ian plays music stuff, but it was never me teaching him a lot of stuff. But when he reached points where he had, you know, there was points where like he could read music and he was way more talented than me as far as certain things go, and it'd be like, Oh dude, you know, do you know how to play this song? And it was like I do. I do know like this, you know, answer like Operation <laughs> Ivy or Bouncing Soul. I could show you that. And then we'd have fun just sitting there like put on Descendants records. Like, oh, well, here's how this part goes. And it'd be like, Fuck oh, yeah. oh, dude, hell yeah. Thanks. And then that was the, I can show you songs if you want to know them. <laughs> Jam along to your MP3 player. That's the date. Must Let be. me show you the Olga. <laughs> well, you know, well, that's, then the lawyers came and ruined all that. So. That's true. But, you know, I paid $7 for this ultimate guitar app and i have all the tabs i ever want there you go it's a great app I so I might throw down for that at some point i also like cordify but yeah I you know don't. what cordify is also really great especially for a lot of songs that like that maybe are not so mainstream that yeah that you're just because it'll just like pull that from youtube and yeah and it's it's and, not always correct but it's close enough <laughs> you know when you you guys all know this you songwriter folks like you can fill in the gaps if you if for me at least if i have like the bricks mm-hmm I can I can fill in the other gaps with with my own knowledge of how songs actually work, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, we do that all the time. Well, plus I'm pretty big. Once it, I like, usually if we do a cover, it's a song that I just figured out sitting around strumming guitar, and then I almost refuse to listen to that song ever until our version's done. It was like, here's sure. how we play it, because I do not want it to be like, okay, we have to add this part that's in the actual song. Because then it just gets like, cool, I'm doing a, a standard version. And then when I realize all these chords I put in there were wrong, then I get, like, you know, it makes me sad. <laughs> so I don't want to do all that. It's like, we'll just do our version. It's fine. Yeah, yeah but that's what's funny, too, is like, Sam will bring, you know, a cover song to the table and I've never heard the song still. Like I just I learned from him what he wants to play and I go and I'm like, Oh, there's a real version of that song? Wow. We cover uh, a humble narrator and Health has never heard it. Never heard oh, it. Oh goodness. I'm sorry. I feel like a real asshole <laughs> no, right now. That's okay. 
Well, it sounds different. I'm sure you Our version sounds different. You know, it's fun. So I have a question for you, Shane. When did you sure. write your first song? When did it first expel from your body? When did it tear out of your heart? <laughs> um, I know, again, this sounds kind of maybe trite or something, but like I, when I was a kid, I had just books and books and books of poems, but there were songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've always written. Always, yeah. Yeah. Uh, even, like really stupid, really, really bad teenage poetry. My goodness. But, uh, that's... I think that's, you know, I did the same thing. Got to start somewhere. There are some some things in my memory box that if I were to pull out and let Sam read, he would laugh at me. Um, Oh, dude. Yeah, it goes both ways. Can we have an episode of that? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I should go find some old lyric books and we can just sit here and read like the embarrassing songs. That'd be a fun episode. It would be funny, actually. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. But I do think think you learn how to structure a song, right? You learn how to structure oh, yeah, for a song sure. and not, you know, or turn a poem into a song. Just like you learn writing from reading, you learn mm-hmm. writing songs from listening, you know. And the very first song that had chords that I ever wrote, uh, <laughs> it was pretty much ripping off a Loudon Wainwright song. It was, uh, goodness, I can almost, it's almost right there. I can almost re- recite it. I can get to the first word. But either way, um, it was essentially, yeah, I was essentially ripping off the people that I admired as songwriters, Bob Dylan and Loudon Wainwright and Paul oh, Westerberg. Really? <laughs> you know, like they all come from this kind of same, cut from the same cloth, you know. Yeah. Is that like before you started playing guitar or after? That was the very first one that I played on guitar that I, I that I wrote chords to words. Yeah. So you were in college. And it was kind of, I was 19, yeah. yeah. And it, it was uh, loosely based on some historical facts or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, man? No, I, I, but it was, you know, it's like G, C, and D right. in, in any random pattern at the time. But it was a feel song, and that's how I write still. One of the things that was interesting is that you and Micah met through an open mic. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I remember we played it. You got me the show at Tree Bar years ago, like solo, and you were hosting the open mic. We were kind of talking about, I was like, yeah, man, I like coming back and doing that to kind of like do like a community thing, which kind of led to me doing the same thing. Cool. And then we just started doing a community open mic here once a month, like in the town square where kids can come out and play and do stuff because there's like no venues in our little town. I love it. That's amazing. So the point of that was that. I don't even know if there's really anything you need to add to that. I'm just playing. But, uh, but I would say if anyone listening, it was cool that like, here's a prolific band that's been around for over two decades that, you know, y'all met at an open mic. Yeah. I really believe in the open mic. I think that's just a wonderful forum for people. I don't like when people take it too seriously. Yeah. You know, but I, I feel like um, the open mic is a great way for people to get started. It's a great way for people who, who are just starting out playing, but also just starting out writing songs. I have a forum which where you know, hopefully people are kind. And that's what I always try to foster when I've done open mic stuff. But Mike and I met at an open mic at a fucking BW3. Nice. <laughs> nice. I mean, where's the BW3 sponsorship of 2 Cal Garage? What I'm asking. <laughs> oh, listen, they don't want anything to do with us. I'd <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, be Bud Light cans all over again. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, I played a Tim Easton song, which I mean, I think. Maybe we all know who Tim is, but yeah. like he was a Columbus dude at the time, and I just thought it was a beautiful song. And then there was Micah standing right in front of me, and we met. And yeah, that was. I know it sounds weird, but like we met at a fucking open mic, and and then I went to see his band playing, and, and I was standing beside my partner Jen, and and uh, it's like you know I never really wanted to be in a band because musicians are kind of assholes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is also kind of true. T- to some extent um but i was like if i was ever going to be in the band that's the one i would want to be in and then like a month later mike asked me to play bass and nice. yeah and then here we are 22 years later yeah that's kind of cool that's really cool though man yeah, that's awesome man so it's kids- amazing i gotta come up with a set list for the next two count show actually with the show coming up <laughs> Ooh, nice yeah. so kids go to open mics go play yeah g- please go to open mics my goodness yeah, you'll you'll meet you'll meet people who you want to be involved with, and you'll meet people who you won't, and you'll learn the difference. Right. You know. Yeah, I think that's that's what's so crazy is the way it's kind of changed. Like growing up, you know, I graduated in '98, so you know, all through high school you had bands. Like you you had some buddies you'd go to your garage and you'd be like hammer out some songs. And it's weird to me now, kids don't do that, you know. And and I remember talking. They do though. They do. My son has a band and they're awesome. <laughs> they do. They go to basements and they play. 
and it's awesome. Well, see, and that you rarely hear about it. Because in the time I've been a teacher, I've been a teacher for like almost 20 years now. And I can probably count on like one hand the number of kids who have had like bands. And they're all great. It's I want to tell them this. It's like, dude, keep doing this. Like, you're sure. you're going to you're gonna get even better. And like, just, they, I'm just like, you don't understand. Like, this is how you make lifelong friends. This is how you learn about yourself. This is how you become, you know, a, a, a creative person and just thrive. And I just like... Go to an open mic. Go have those interactions. Go meet people and go to your garage. Be annoying. Like annoy the neighbors and shit. That's fine. Like we need those kids. We're kind of like and the neighbor. The neighbors need them too. Yes, they do. <laughs> We're kind of like at that point where it's almost like the '80s again, though, because it's like like almost like synthesizers just hit. Because a lot of the kids we have are show up and they're like, "Here's my backing track," and they'll go up there and play right. guitar and do their song. But you know, they sat at home and made like drums and bass and played all the rhythm parts. And they want to get up there and jam on guitar and sing songs or just, you know, they'll even bring a drummer and them and the guitar yeah. and whatever tracks they need to drop in. So it's really cool to see how, you know, we're in the 80s, everyone was sitting at home with, you know, 808s and keyboards, like making like, here, I, I made my entire album alone. In cars. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, Gary Newton quit his band because it was like in the studio. Well, I, can make this. <laughs> I don't need you guys. I, guess, I don't need a band anymore. <laughs> right. So, you know, that's why we talked about before, you know, it goes from the Toyota Corolla to the, you know, I'm rolling Mercedes Benz now. <laughs> right. I ain't got to split this money with nobody. I'm good to go. Right. Our friend Gabe, he's like, I'm, I went to A&M. He's like, you know, things are really easy divisible by one. <laughs> so <laughs> I could do that math. But no, it's been cool to go out and see you. Plus, I think it's a good thing anyway that you can be around more creative people. It kind of forces you, and I mean, you know, we always argue over the proper terminology if it's like, you know, competitiveness or inspiration. I think it's a little bit of both. It's like I can't, like, oh, man, you know, this kid came back this month and he had two new songs. I can't show up next month with the third month in a row of the same three songs. Like, I really oh, yeah, got to do this. And so it's good. It kind of pushes you to want to do more because, you know, these people are around. And it's like, okay, I've got this community of creatives, which to me just, you know, creates more creativity. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I feel like um I'm trying to think of the, the correct way to say this. It's not competitive to me, but it is. Um, I, it's competitive in the way that, like, maybe Tucal and Glossary were competitive. Not like, we want everybody to succeed. But I'm like, man, these motherfuckers are showing up with this material? What am I got? I, I better get I some work. there. You know? <laughs> right. Oh, it's more of that, I, I guess, desire to impress each other. It's like, look, see what yeah. I did? Look what I made. And they're like, oh, man, I gotta go home and make something badass now. Cause yeah, and it, it's not about being better. It is certainly about being equal, but uh, it, it's more about like, you just push each other. You push yeah. each other. Yeah. Well, I always say that nobody had ever ran a four minute mile, then the one dude does it, and suddenly everyone's doing it. So it's like, dude, we can do this. <laughs> like, it happened. It's no longer, it gets over that mindset. So once your friend does something that's like, boom, you're just like, oh, we can do this. At our right. level, we can do this. Like, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like with us and our friends, Grifters and Chills, like, they are constantly putting out more and more stuff and just better and better. And we're sitting here like, well, if we're going to be on tour with these guys, we better be bringing our A game every night because they're definitely doing their homework. And so like, yeah, yep. it makes you go home and like just grind harder and like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to play better. And I might actually get my guitar out at home and practice. I don't even know. Maybe. That's why we started a <laughs> podcast to take up most of our night of practice so we could stay sharp. <laughs> hey. See how well it's working. <laughs> our podcast is really good. We toured with forever with a band called Grand Champagne, yeah. too. And I, man, I, I love those people and I love that band. And there were some nights where that was the greatest fucking band in the world. And I got to see them play to 12 people, you know. And they were the greatest fucking rock and roll band you've ever seen in your life. And that is no joke. No joke. And I've seen the E Street Band. <laughs> you know? But I realized from that what I have to do. It wasn't every night with them. I love them dearly and they would agree with me about that. But like, I realize what you have to do, and it has to be 100%. It has to be 100% every single time you play. That's I will how say, I feel about it. Anyway. I will say you guys are, um, well, at least two Cal Garage for me, when I was introduced to them, uh, were kind of told to me like they are like the greatest live band I've ever seen. They throw down... <laughs> Every time, and I've 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 just seen that to be true in the times that I've seen you guys play. So you bring it all to the table and you leave it there. <laughs> it, again, I mean, every band is different, and they all we all, all have different aspects that are good about us. But like, yeah, even now, even now that we're old, <laughs> mm -hmm. we still we don't fuck around. You're getting a rock show. That's what you get. Yep. 
Well, damn it, now i got to catch a two-cow garage show, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, in the 13 years I've known Shane, they've played Houston twice, so you, you don't have a very good chance. There's always a third <laughs> time. But you missed the first seven times we played. <laughs> that was tr- well, I didn't know who y'all were. So the funny reason, it's kind of like the funny thing, was our friend Marcia Schrader from uh, St. Louis used to go see mm-hmm. you all the time. She's like, oh, those loud boys from Columbus. I did what I normally do. It's like, oh, man, I'll have to check them out. Then they were com- y'all were coming through playing Rudyard's week kind of become like a regular band they booked there because they were like okay they'll show up they'll at least play you know they bring some people and then two cal was playing i was like all right dude we're gonna so we hit up the mic and was like dude can we open this show i was like i want to go see these guys so it was us and then grizzly because chad hit up so it was like uh, you know the local the local alt country people to play with the obvious country band two cow <laughs> garage there was a cow in the name they were definitely a country-ish rock band <laughs> and yeah man we went out there and we all threw down you know and i was like yeah let's see what these guys got and then it was just like good i mean i walked out a fan like i think i got speaking in cursive from that show and it was like that was like all i listened to for like two months well, i appreciate that but you know it's like baseball you only get good at it if you're doing it all the fucking time yeah you know and we were we were playing 250 shows a year easily wow at that point you know like we were never home always on the road and at some point you, you get good or get the fuck out of the way. You know what I mean? Like, true. That sounded terrible, but it's no, true, but, like, you know, no, it's a fact you're gonna, you know, it's like one of those things where you have, you do it 250 shows a year and it's not coming together. Probably never coming together. But we, again, we were also very lucky to have like, you know, drag the river in like all these other bands that were amazing bands that we were always playing with champagne and glossary and Soberbone and, 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 you know, we, we just, we're very lucky to have top-notch competition. <laughs> you know? This is crazy. I knew, like, all these other bands, but I never saw Grand Champagne play. I mean, everyone else, you know, because yeah. we used to just accidentally call it Slobberbone once. We thought they were a different band. And then we're just like, dude, those guys are great. We have to go see them Amazing. more often. And then just, you know, everybody else. And Glossary, same deal, I think. They played. They may have played with Slobberbone at Rudyard's or somewhere satellite and we saw them they're really sure. good and then you know centromatic did uh, i was a big varnally central fan. too fuck yeah man yeah so they had uh they toured as the backing band for anders parker on a varnally album thing so. and they killed but then yeah and what's even funnier is i can't i'm, I'm uh i had it for a second disappeared the guitar player from uh grand champagne um michael crow no is it it's not channing lewis channing that's i kept wanting to say channing yeah so we actually both have a Creston electric that's from the same board oh yeah we have the, the yeah. our guitars are siblings and that's yeah, never met them pretty cool yeah oh, channing's great he's he's and they're from austin so it's almost it's always kind of a bummer like austin. man i never like they live right there <laughs> i never saw them but that was just man, I, me lamenting on audio that band is like uh soul asylum and cheap trick mixed together or something like they're the, just the best Ooh, damn but Two bands it's I so good I, can, I can't say enough about them as people in that band <laughs> it's so good and we've got to play with a lot of really amazing people y'all, y'all included but like yeah <laughs> it's just yeah i get i feel very lucky about it all no nah, it was cool man you know it was always nice like saying we didn't know anything and we'd walked off stage and i remember you were just like dude like y'all threw down i was like we did because <laughs> it was it was one of our great joe nights it was like an astros game or something so he was late and <laughs> our joe our set list got cut from like 40 minutes to like 25 and it was like all right these five rock these five songs are gonna fucking wreck let's do that because we always had the one yeah, long one at the end that was like had the long breakdown so it was always like eight nine minutes we're like we're not gonna cut that one because everyone wants to see all the crazy guitar shit so it was like we're gonna do the fast ones and then that and it worked out man so i think me <laughs> ended up hanging out with you all night then somewhere there it was just like all right cool man we got a buddy now they're pretty good live too <laughs> it's uh if i'm talking too much it's no funny. man we're i mean i'm doing the same so it's okay this one time we played a show in london and there was uh we were i think supposed to headline the show which i don't care about that kind of shit but like um what i do care about is like our set was supposed to be 45 minutes and then all of a sudden it was 30 minutes and then another thing happened and it was 20 minutes and we were like okay and like it was like they don't want us to play a 20 minute set and i was like i know they don't because i will be angry <laughs> and and we went for it big time for 20 and we played 20 minutes and it was one of those situations where like good luck following us yeah <laughs> damn you know hell yeah <laughs> and we literally walked off stage and this guy was like hey my name is lil which his name is lil he's a wonderful person he was like um 
I want to put your record out here in the UK. And we were like, cool. I need to grab a cigarette and take a breath. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was, you know, aerobic exercise. Right. <laughs> 20 yeah, minutes of hardcore cardio. Yeah. But it is funny how that kind of happens. It's like the times when you're rushed and you're kind of like, I don't know, just grumpy when you go on stage. It's a time where I guess it's more cathartic. It's like, let's just get all this shit out here. I'd never like to be rushed. I like to get to a place and figure out what the layout of the land is. Like make friends with all the bartenders and, the, you know, and all everybody working because yes. we're all working together, you know. Um, and I like to know what I'm getting into. I don't know to throw and go. Yeah. But if that's the situation, that's the baseball player. They make right. <laughs> like I'm going, go. We're going to make it work no matter what. I'm going to step up to bat, you know. Yep. So maybe there is a bit more competitiveness in me than what I was letting on before. <laughs> it, it's like forced competition. Like they they, they with, did it. They made yeah. that happen. It was their fault. Oh, yeah. But I think it's always, again, it's constructive, competitive, not destructive. It's like, all right, man, we're going to come here, we're going to fucking do this and, you know, see where it goes. I think there's a big difference, you know, it's like anything. I know competitiveness becomes kind of like a dirty word, but there's stages of it. It's like, you know, again, I'm kind of pushing to be as good as them. Like we're, but it's oh, also, yeah. I want them to be good too. I'm like, using them to push myself. <laughs> is well, what I'm exactly. Doing. That's if, exactly right. Yeah. If I don't have a pang of jealousy when I hear your record, it's probably not that good. <laughs> That's kind of how I base it. Well, I mean, but really, because most of the time we get people, we go. It's like I always tell people it's the same thing when you get angry about something. You let that first wave wash over. And then you go, okay. So it's like you get that pang of jealousy and you're like, oh, can't believe they just killed their thing. But then, you know, that goes away 15 seconds later and you're like, dude, I'm so happy for them that they actually, like, they made this and, like, it's this good. Yeah, but I want to I mean, have that I moment of like, fuck, like, how can I, I can't do that. I often think like, I wish I would wrote that fucking song. Oh yeah. It was right. It was right there. I've had a similar thought, you know, right. Like, I can, I wish I would, I would have wrote, you know, there's a, this gaslight anthem song where it's like, uh, here's looking at you kid is the name of the song. And the first time I heard that song, I was like, motherfucker, I wish I would have written that song. It's right there. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Right. It's so good. I, not that I think that sounds very arrogant. Like I'm not saying that I could have written that song, but like, boy, I've had that thought. It's so good. Right. <laughs> I, I wish I could have that just got to it. Oh. Damn you, brain. <laughs> For sure. No, but that's. The, I mean, that's it. You know. I mean, shit. We got the complex ecosystems EP of yours. You know, it was like no one asked to be born. I mean, that was like fuck. Yeah. Like you man, still, you still do that. Like <laughs> yeah, every, like even live, it's like damn it. Like you know, that was. You know, it's what I always told my kids. Like, <laughs> I don't ever listen to your parent if they any parents they tell you that you owe them. I was like, no one asked for this, and then you brought in like all these great stories. And I remember sharing it with my friend Ben. That's a thing I don't know if I've ever told you, but um, he was a psychologist, and he was like, he's like, yeah, man. He goes, I wish you know. I goes, I might, I should let people listen to this who are dealing with this stuff. Like, this is exactly what I deal with, like cases with PTSD and stuff like that. Got it. He got the picture correct. And I was like, Shit. "That's heavy." Yeah, man. So that's heavy. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's what he did. He was a one of my best friends who we did like recorded all of his stuff for him. And uh, but yeah, so I actually gave him that a copy of that EP, and he was like, "Dude, that song got it, man." He was a big songwriter, like you know, disciple of John Prine kind of guy. Like, sure. so yeah. So you know, every one of those stories is true, you know. Like, yeah, I mean. Well, that's what makes it work because unfortunately those stories are true everywhere. Yeah, it's hopeful though. I mean, it's not as it's not as you know. Yeah, no. I, I always say that. Give that caveat when I'm playing it. <laughs> right. No, but it is at the end. You know, I mean, you bring it back up. It's not the whole like just beating you down the whole time. I guess that's the thing. You want to have that little bit of crack, you know, door cracked with some light when you get to the end of the sad songs. There's a crack in everything. That's where the light comes. in. Right. right. Are, are we going to talk about baseball or what? <laughs> so it's, it's I mean, kind it's of a, you know, <laughs> being, being Houstonians, you know, we have our, it gets ugly sometimes. Yeah. We can't really yes. talk about baseball because people are like, you guys like trash cans and it's stuff. Like everybody was cheating grow up. <laughs> right. We just got caught because we were a second level team. We weren't know, supposed to win. <laughs> Yankees and Dodgers. And then we're doing that at the same time. And the Red Sox. That's it. I'm not happy about it. Not happy about it. No. Well, I mean, I get it. As you know, a, a Cleveland fan, it, it's tougher because it's like, yeah, we were in the second. You know, we're the same tier as Houston is, and it's like we could have been doing that stuff. And but I think you know, the thing that sucks the most is Michael Brantley. Oh man, that's what I say. Dude, he was 
Michael Brantley, like, was on my fantasy league team for years. And I so, love him so much. Yeah. Goodness. So when he came to Houston, I was like, we got a really good player. I can't believe this. Dude, he just had a great rehab start uh, yesterday, man. Good. He's looking really good. Yeah, I, like no I will always, always root for Michael Brantley. Around here, we call him Uncle Mike. <laughs> Because he's well, like, that's what we, we called him in Cleveland. Too. <laughs> he's like, he's just like that uncle. You're like, yeah, it's my uncle Mike. He's real good at baseball. He was, <laughs> but baseball is an old person sport. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like there are people like, uh, there's a guy on the guardians right now and his name is James Karen and he is fucking wild. He's not an old soul. He's all over the place and he's successful. I don't know how long he's going to be successful for <laughs> But like, but baseball is not that. Baseball isn't. If you're an old soul, like Aaron Judge is an old soul. Oh yeah, yeah, like young totally. old man. You know, like that's what ba- like baseball players, the best ones, are always old souls. Oh yeah, Jose Ramirez, ninety five years old in his heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gotta have that just patience to wait everything out. And- yeah, and you, ha- you, all, you, the patience is a great way to put that because you have to have the ability to be like, ah. I sucked for a month. Yeah. But I'm not going to suck this month, you know? Yeah, it's a long game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that, and I don't think that young people have the patience for it no. anymore. That's why we like, sped up the game. People watching it. Well, I think that's good. It was getting ridiculous as a bit long <laughs> childhood baseball I, fan. I mean, we were getting to the point where pitchers were like, you know, the Dewey Cox, like, he has to think about his entire life between every pitch. <laughs> right. Like he's, he's like, dude, it's been like four minutes since the last pitch. Like, is this right. dude gonna gonna do and this? And then he throws over. You know? Yeah, and then it's like, what well, stands there and zones out? It's like, come on, man, just do it. So I'm not against the pitch clock. People were taking advantage of that. that time. I, I do like though that they made the rule about the pitchers and their motion. Because of uh, Luis Garcia, our pitcher. And so he had to like basically read, because he did the rock the baby thing and then he would throw. Mm-hmm. And so they made this new rule. And so that dude goes and like gets a whole new thing and he's even better than he was previously. And you're like, yeah, word. Great. So I'm 100% behind the pitch clock. I, I love it, actually. I think uh, it might not be a great live experience. It might not be great for the live experience, but it's definitely great for the television watching experience. Yes. But like that thing, like some people are going to adapt and some people are going to get left behind. Right. And that kind of sucks, but like fucking adapt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, well, yeah things it's like, change. Well, and it's the like, world changes. Well, it's like I'm, I'm torn on the shift thing because at the, the same time, I'm like, you're a professional athlete. If if you're constantly hitting to the right, then learn to hit to the left. Like man, they're professional hitters. They should be able to hit anywhere at any time. Like, but I grew up with Tony Gwynn. Right. And yeah. Tony Gwynn doesn't really exist, you know? No. Michael Brantley is close. He's he's a Tony Gwynn type of hitter. Dude, that's pretty accurate actually, yeah. Huh. And in, my, in my baseball career, ninety five percent of my hits came center field to left field i wonder <laughs> like, there why was, there was yeah. no op like i rarely had the patience to wait for that ball long enough to go ex- uh, opposite field it was oh, yeah. no. but you know i said for years like they should just learn how to hit the other way they should know how to hit the other way they do know how to hit the other way yeah if you're but they just player. fucking didn't yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah and it was boring yes oh they're gonna be out now there we go yeah. <laughs> yeah i get it i used to love the guys like the big guys like putting a bunt down the third baseline and running first before he would get to it. That never really happened that often. No, like, no, no, it didn't. It did, you but the, the times they did it were just like, it's like, you do it, dude. And I know it was this, this era that thankfully I think is over of hit a home run or nothing, you know? Yes. but And I think that era is over, but that was a boring era of baseball to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, the Sosa-McGuire years, like, I mean, okay, cool. I mean, that's, yeah. But even in the last probably five or, you know, up until about probably four years ago, it was still very much like long ball going or yard or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's great, man. Like, watching, watching these great bloopers just right between infield outfield. I mean, just, that's just great hitting, you know? And that's the guardians. That's the guardians are going to be good because they've built their team to, to be line drive hitters. See, things are changing. Now I'm excited. I got a bunch of friends from the Cleveland area. So I always kept up with them. It was weird being, you know, when Houston switched leagues, because it was okay to look, watch all these American League teams. Like, yeah, I can root for them. You know, they're in the American League. And it's like suddenly we're in the American sure. League. And it's like, shit. <laughs> they're the enemy. I have to put all these hats in the back of my closet and never wear them. Oh, dude, my first, like, fullback professional baseball cap, Cleveland Indians hat. So cool. Yeah? I was, yeah, I was so right. cool. I was so cool, you know? And then Tomahawk well, came out with their first line of merchandise, and it was the Cleveland Indians uh, logo. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, 
See? And then I, mine was the, the, I remember I bought it Parkdale Mall. I got my Padres hat because I was a huge Tony Gwynn fan. Okay. Uh, Tony Gwynn was the best hitter that I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. We've got to see some good ones, man. Like, you know, Otani oh, right yeah. now is amazing that we, I'm like so happy I get to live during that dude's yeah. run in the league. It's like, it's like a younger, more fit version then, of Babe Ruth running around. And just so many great hitters. Yes. But if you look at Tony Gwynn's stats, they're just. Yeah, no one will touch that, man. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And, while I, and I get to be like, you know, like a fucking great hitters. Or Cleveland, like amazing hitters. So my favorite things about baseball is that, you know, even when you look back like 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years or whatever, dudes were still throwing balls at like 90 miles an hour in like 1890. It's not like the yeah. games really changed a lot. It's like, nope, dudes were still no. throwing these balls that fast and still, you know, dudes were still swinging pieces of wood at those balls. And For sure. So it's one of those things where it's like, you can be like, well, the era changed or they moved this line. They added this. They did that. It's like, they can move things at the end of the day. Still dudes throwing a ball as hard as they can and a dude swinging a bat as hard as he can. And yeah. It's kind of stayed the same. My first hat was a Minnesota Twins hat. Solid choice. Any reason my for cousin, that? My cousin played for them. So I got to like go take batting practice and dress. and uh, Yeah. So that was my first fitted hat. That's pretty awesome. So I, th- I believe Kim's first hat was a Montgomery Biscuits hat. I don't know if you owned a baseball Montgomery hat Biscuits before I mean, we got together. It wasn't. It wasn't a <laughs> fitted hat. Relatively new, but yes. <laughs> yeah, she didn't. I wasn't really a fan of. I mean, it's not that I wasn't a fan of baseball. I just wasn't it. My dad was not really into sports, so I didn't grow up around a lot of sports. They didn't watch sports sure. in my house. But I find baseball relaxing very easy to understand like i enjoy watching it so when sam was like you want to go to a baseball game i think it was our second or third date and, oh you went uh, to an astros game but yeah, yeah but then we went on your first time you went with me on tour that's true we but i prefer a- minor league because i don't really like crowds and crazy people and i love minor league games they're they're fun uh, also i love minor league games too. yeah but yeah sam got me Mine- a montgomery biscuits hat Heck yeah. So I have a little biscuit That's with a pad of butter for the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's awesome. <laughs> Kim got a foul in that game, too. You got a what? Micah grew up, grew up with baseball. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Kim. I interrupted you. No. no, no, no. I said Kim got a foul ball at that game, too. I sure did. That's right. That's fucking radical. I've never had that happen. Never. Oh, that minor league game. Yeah, we got. I have mine up here. I ought to show it to you at some point. I had my Craig BGO foul ball. I got. I dove down an aisle and cut my eye and snag. I was like eighteen, snagged it from these little kids. I was like, whatever. <laughs> dude. Cool. I'm sorry. I was believing. Did you steal a ball from little kids? Well, they were standing. They, they wouldn't. It, it bounced off a friend of ours two rows up. I just dove down and caught it. And I was like, "Can I have?" It? I was like, "No, <laughs> no." And I still have it. Like. 30 years later, almost, or, you know, tw- 25 cool. years later, it's still here. The closest I've ever come was a, a Columbus Clippers game. And quite honestly, I'm lucky that this ball didn't kill me. Uh, we were on the uh, third baseline. Dude hit it. It literally took chips out of the concrete. Oh my God. I was sitting uh, in the, the seat beside the stairs. And it was me and then Jackson and then Jen. And I was like, but I didn't have a glove. And I was like, I can't grab that with my hand and it hit the concrete and the concrete chips up and it took enough steam off of it that it just kind of like bounced around. But like there were the uh, thread marks on the concrete and I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. That's when you don't want to get your hand in front of. Yeah. No. Ours were both off a pretty high pop up. So they weren't that bad. Yeah. That's great. I do. I do worry about getting a head injury every time I go to a baseball game, though, because <laughs> you see how fast they hit those balls. My God. Yeah. There's no net. I mean, Jack was like seven, six or seven or something like that. So yeah. like my first inclination was to protect yeah. Jackson. So put myself in front of the ball. But I also had this baseball player thing where I was like, I'm going to grab this ball. <laughs> and it was, I'm so glad that didn't happen. I would have totally crushed my head. Yeah. <laughs> There it went. Shane Sweet's music career caught a foul ball. <laughs> well, I got a sweet <laughs> foul ball. ball. I'm a it was winner. going somewhere. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, you know what we haven't talked about? Speaking of music careers, you said you were going to ask him about dead nettles. Oh, yeah. I was, we'll get to that. We're talking baseball right now. Right? Oh, I'm we're so por- sorry. This is important stuff. I mean, I always tell people that they're the two my two rules in life when I tell people it's plain life period most of the important lessons you needed to learn you should have gotten from teen movies and the, <laughs> the easiest thing that you can do to kind of accept how life treats you and music and songwriting is you know baseball man if you get it right 25 percent of the time you're doing that's good. right you're an all-star man you're doing yep. good 30 yep. percent if you can get to 40 percent of the time you're right dude first ballot yeah all, all the way, way. yep listen 
It prepares you nope, to fail nope, most Nobody's times. gotten it right 40% of the time in baseball. It's right. Ted Williams. Yep. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, it's a good thing in life to remind you that more times than not, you're going to fail, and that's perfectly normal. And if you fail, if you succeed a third of the time, goodness, you're just an all-star. Yeah, you're yep. a beast. You're getting a big contract. True. Not league minimum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uniforms and everything. It's really great. They might actually put your name on the shirt in the in the gift shop. <laughs> Unless you're in the Yankees, you know. True. If you only get it right 20% of the time, but the 20% of the time you get it right, it's a home run every time. <laughs> True. You still do really good. Right. Ask Chris Davis about that. <laughs> Chris Davis. Really true. Oh, man. All right. So, so what, what, at Kim's urging, we will move past. We'll go into. Oh, yeah. Um, let's just get back to, to maybe the, the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Past, <laughs> past and future. So, yeah. So, you know, you had two Cal. Then you, you did solo releases won't get into that then you know during a break there you had y'all had dead nettles going so is that something y'all are still working on or is that i guess basically dead nettles kind of became two cal like the your you know your lead guitar player and drummer yeah uh i don't i i to be completely honest i don't really know what's happening with dead nettles y'all just when y'all um, get together y'all are doing it you know it's the if it happens it happens if it happens it happens yeah i think um todd and 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 jay and george and i are, are always around you know what i mean it's just figuring out schedules and stuff and like once the pandemic happens like the last actual rock show i played before the pandemic lockdown happened was a dead metal show and it was awesome and then we were just kind of like okay the whole thing was kind of like a poker night to begin with yeah um and then when none of us could get together for obvious reasons um, it just kind of layered out a little bit but uh boy i love all those songs and i love those people so much and i play music with all of them so like it's just not maybe it'll be a thing again i don't know i hope it is so then moving on to the important thing that everyone who's gonna listen is gonna want to know so y'all been releasing singles for two cow or y'all you know approaching uh you're gonna keep doing singles or y'all working on a record now you say you got a show coming up so putting you on the spot uh, okay so that show hasn't been announced yet i'm just talking about school so now mike is definitely like god damn it never telling you anything it's all happening (laughs) <laughs> yeah i guess we're just making a new record slowly there you go no that's how a lot of people have been it's kind of the way single here single there and eventually assemble yeah. into a physical product where you get all of them together that's re- that's really what's happening and there's a part of me that doesn't i just don't feel the urgency that i used to feel yeah you know because i think maybe the last few years have taught us that like there are very important things yeah it really did it slowed everything down yeah, it's no. kind of like here's where we need to be yeah so like i love making and playing music with with all of those folks and i would fucking lay down in traffic for any of them and, and we're constantly working on it but i i personally don't feel this great urgency to be like in the rat race a little yeah you feel like the, Actually, I feel, the pandemic kind of slowed you down a little bit <laughs> yeah prioritize yeah reprioritize is a great way to say it i think it is it is vitally important to me that we make a new record and that we go tour and play shows and stuff but i don't feel the need to compete yeah no you know i think this will be what y'all's eighth or ninth record so yeah Plus, all, all the solo stuff we put out like right I, I just don't i don't feel like the environment is great right now to be honest yeah. i feel like it it's weird and we are not at a level where we can have covid derail us yeah you know we're just not like we can't have we can't be in california and have to drive our asses all the way back to ohio yeah yeah or put people up in a hotel room for two weeks like we don't have that money yeah wow. no, we don't have that money you know? and we don't make that kind of money in our shows so like it's just not really feasible for a lot of bands right now no it's to tough. tour we even had yeah. that happen last summer we went out did like a short run through like oklahoma arkansas and stuff like that and yeah uh kansas and then john from grifters and chills was like my throat's kind of scratchy and he's like let me be sure before we go to little rock and he's like yeah had to do like the death march from him and his wife who's the other member of the band you know all the way from lawrence kansas back to houston right and you know that's like a 12 hours drive probably yeah but like if we're in france right yeah, <laughs> like yeah. what do we do you know like, well, exactly what we do you know? yeah that happened to a friend of mine him and his wife were on their anniversary 
trip to Barcelona, you know, and, and they're dinks, they're double income, no kids. So they've got money, but she came up positive. They had to spend an extra two weeks in Barcelona. And I was like, man, I'm glad it's you and not me because I couldn't afford to figure out, you know, how I'm going to stay. I don't make that kind of money. <laughs> and that's not a fun two weeks, you know what I mean? No. That's not like, hey, we're chilling in Barcelona. No, you're that's quarantined. Like, like fucking they, quarantine in a hotel room. You know? Yeah, they couldn't leave or anything. I mean, it was like, no, thank you. <laughs> So we were fortunate and got crudded up like just during the regular day. Yeah. yeah. We were at home, thank God. Yeah. I've also had it and it was a terrible experience. Yeah. But Agreed. thankfully we were all fun. home. Right. You know? But again, like I'm not trying to be like I'm always nervous about shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, we just can't do that. Yeah. We just can't we can't do that. And it sucks. Now it's lot. made it where, you know, even a lot of bands you see, even people we know that are, you know, will refer to as like, you know, being successful on an upswing, you know, as far as things are going, they're still like, okay, we'll book like maybe two weeks and do yeah. this little regional you know, basically it looks almost like they're drawing a daisy around their hometown because it's like we'll go out and do these and we'll come back and then we'll go out and do these. Because that way, yeah, we can't we don't want to do like a we're gonna go out for two months and we get sick three days in. It's like, well, shit, right. there went the whole thing. It's like, we'll go out for two weeks. Then we'll take two weeks off to make sure we have time to recover. Then two more weeks. And it's kind of interesting to see how it has changed up the ball game as far as like, yeah, we're not doing this. I mean, I know with y'all, you know how many times you played shows when you had the flu? Like, the, you know, the, stand, the standard oh flu. I'm fine. Embarrassing. I can get up Embarrassing. there. It's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, you know, we, I, we don't cancel shows. Yeah. Right. No, same. Yeah. You, know, you can't afford to cancel shows. No. Like right. at the level that we're at, like you're going to get a hundred percent of everything that I have, but that might only be 60%, but you're going to get a hundred percent of that 60%. Right. <laughs> 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> it's made oh, with yeah. bits of real Panther. <laughs> so you know, it's good. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Music in the Minor League. If you like what you heard, please share the podcast with your friends. Again, that's the best way to get people to check out these bands in the podcast. If you enjoyed Shane, if you enjoyed hearing about Two Cow Garage or Dead Nails or anything, go find them online. Give them a follow. Listen to the music. It's really good. you got a whole eight albums of Two Cow Garage you could rubbish through. Like There's some really amazing songs in there. Now we're going to leave you with the latest release from Two Cow Garage. It's called Promises, and we'll We'll see you next time. Have a good one. What did they promise you? Did they promise you a little big house? Or a good job in a factory? Or that you'd live in a tent city? Ain't that America for you and me? Did they promise you you'd be alright? When things they go bump in the night What did they promise you? Did they promise you that you'd be safe? Or did they lie and say that you'd be free? Or that you'd get shot dead in the street? Ain't that America for you and me? Did they promise you you'd be alright? Or did they promise you money? They promised you money. How much did you get? Was it worth it? Yeah, 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 yeah. chance if you can pay all the legal fees while getting cancer from the food you eat ain't that America for you and me did they promise you you'd be alright or did they promise you